Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 176 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. One of the things that you have primed me to as a result of the pandemic is that identity management has become about 10 times more important probably than it was before the pandemic. It was important before the pandemic, and it was a difficult nut for the government to crack at all levels. But that's really been uh, – it's exploded as a result of the pandemic, hasn't it? Well, especially as the government has tried to get so much uh, recovery funding and pandemic response funding out the door quickly – uh, the ability of people to take advantage of that and defraud the government, defraud the taxpayers, has increased exponentially. The uh, the two experts on that subject are on FedHeads with us today. Uh, Jeremy Grant of Venable, uh, welcome. It's good to see you. Jen Kerber of Grant Thornton, thanks for coming on the show. Jeremy, start with you. What have you observed as somebody who's been working on identity management for the federal government for many years now? Uh, what have you observed as a result of the pandemic and the way that that exponential growth and the importance of identity management has happened in the last 18 months? Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Hey, good to see you guys again. And thanks for having me. It's um, yeah. So we've had quite an 18 months. I mean, digital identity has been pretty important for quite some time now. I think a lot of us, you know, all go back to early days of government, you know, trying to sort this out, you know, first internally for its employees with things like HSPD 12, um, or, you know, on the you know, citizen facing side with things like the authentication initiative or the NSTIC program, the national strategy for trusted identities in cyberspace that I ran for a few years during the Obama administration. Um, but nothing really serves to, I think, magnify how important all this is like a global pandemic that literally makes it impossible to do business online. Um, and I, you know, think we saw a couple trends, you know, starting about 18 months ago, one, which was, uh, everybody had to try to figure out, in many cases, how to convert from in-person to digital in terms of how we work, in terms of how we bank, in terms of how we interact with government uh, or do other transactions. And the second was that cyber criminals took a look at that as everybody was making that shift and said, oh, boy, there's some real dollars to be made here and and some good data to steal and some other mischief to make. And, you know, the amount of, of fraud we've seen, you know, because of identity theft, all of it, you know, digital, online, uh, with some of the pandemic benefits, uh, the amount of increased attacks we've seen uh, on the enterprise or the agency side, as everybody has basically shifted uh, to, you know, a work from home environment. And in many cases, companies, government agencies had to figure out how do you secure that? Uh, the numbers have not been pretty. Uh, about the only good thing that's come out of it is a bunch of people who maybe weren't paying attention to this before in terms of why it really is a priority, why identity really is critical infrastructure, are now starting to recognize maybe we need to uh, pay a little attention here. So, Jen, when you and I started working together several years ago, you assured me that you had solved all these problems. What, <laughs> what's the, what's the hang-up? What, what's keeping us from really um, doing a better job at identity management? It's a great, great question. Um, uh, I thought I had solved it. No, not really. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough question, right? And there's a lot of different facets around it. There's also some people are passionate around identity and who can have access to your data and who can't. Uh, and we're a very large country. I think sometimes digital identity, government digital identity 
is is easier solved in smaller bites. We're not Estonia, so we don't issue sort of a national ID card when you're born, and then you can way to antagonize a whole things. country yeah. and our listeners. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Sorry, Estonia. Our population is less than Fairfax County, so you know we got numbers on it. Nothing else. All right. Well. Uh, but no, I think I, I, you know, I think it's super interesting. And one of the things I, you know, I do think I've been, you know, I love identity. I've been passionate around it. Robert makes fun of me. Don't don't bring it up around me. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting is this year in our state CIO survey, we actually put some identity questions in. I, I lobbied and, and got that in there. And one of the things that I was heartened to see is that uh, on the survey results, 73% of state CIO says they had either partially or fully implemented an identity and access management system. Not surprising, right? Especially during the pandemic, if you didn't have one, you were in a lot of trouble. But the thing I thought was really interesting was the movement towards citizen digital identity initiatives by the states. And um, almost 50% said they were they had something planned or were doing something. And that's a huge change, I think, from what it's been the past couple of years. So I think that was really interesting from the survey. Jeremy, what is the impact on an identity management credential for the federal government if it's not necessary for everybody? If there's an opt-in or an opt-out and somebody doesn't have to use it, does that solve the problem? Um, you know, partially. I mean, I think having something be voluntary is important. You know, look, we've been doing a lot of work. One of the organizations I, I lead is or involved with is a group called the Better Identity Coalition, which was stood up somewhat by accident after the last time we had a crisis and everybody in government was worried about identity, which was the Equifax breach about four years ago uh, with, you know, all these social security numbers compromised and people asking questions, what do we do with the SSN going forward, as well as how do we do remote identity proofing? Because Equifax was one of the major providers of it with knowledge-based verification. And you know that's an organization that emerged to try and answer some of those questions. Uh, we put out a policy blueprint uh, in the summer of 2018 that's gotten really good bipartisan support, uh, led to the introduction of House legislation, the Improving Digital Identity Act, that's you know co-led by uh, Democratic Congressman Bill Foster's and the Financial Services Committee and John Katko, who's the ranking Republican on the Homeland Security Committee. And a lot of what it focuses on there is, yeah, how do you have systems that are voluntary, but also how do you solve this problem without trying to create new systems? You know, we don't need to try and clone the Estonians. In fact, you know, trying to do a national ID here, I think it's a political non-starter, but the point we made is, you know, it's not that we need a national ID card. In fact, we got too many ID cards. What we need to do is just close this gap we have between the nationally recognized authoritative systems for identity that we have today, the driver's license, the passport, social security number, and, you know, all of which are trapped in the paper and plastic world. And the fact that everything we're doing today is digital and you can't use those online. I mean, it's that gap right now, which is being exploited by organized crime and a whole bunch of other not so nice people to, you know, steal. I think when you, you know, all said and done, when you look at the estimates coming out just from pandemic benefits over a hundred billion dollars, that's twice the DHS budget this year, by the way. So, you know, part of it is, yeah, something needs to be voluntary, um, but I think most people want something that works for them. I don't know anybody who was stuck at home and, you know, look, we tried to, you know, close a refi of our house last February. We had to meet in person to do it at a time when the pandemic's raging, putting us and our, you know, the nice lady from the closing agency at risk, mostly so she could look at our driver's license and passport and figure out if it was us. I'd have loved to ask the DC DMV, hey, can you vouch for me? I'm trying to do this thing. State Department, can you validate this information? It's not hard to do technically, but 
DMVs don't do that today. The State Department doesn't do that today. I think that's a lot of what we're trying to really push from the coalition in terms of a voluntary approach that digitizes the, the, the credentials we have rather than looks to create new systems that we don't need. Can I just ask, or can I just suggest, I guess, that we stop picking on the Estonians? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know any, but I'm sure they're very nice people and we keep they're bringing really them up. really lovely and they've done an awesome job with it's it's you know somewhere there is you know the, the cave with the, the platonic ideal but the triangle I, I learned about back in you know philosophy class in college there's the platonic cave with the smart card that is the greatest smart card id and and it, it certainly was built by the estonians yeah wow. there's some other ways we can he, deal with things these he, days both they've both looped in the estonians to a, a, a identity management conversation it's pretty amazing jen that actually begs the next question though which is where is this happening well now that other um, jurisdictions that other governments that other organizations could model somebody that's already accomplishing what needs to be accomplished uh, uh good question and i may i may punt some of this to Jeremy, but back in the day, uh, the UK was was ahead in a lot of areas on some of the government digital identity and, and being able to sort of recognize that I could bring my own credential to government to verify my identity. And, you know, we were, the US government was working on something similar as well. So, uh, Jeremy, I don't know if you have any good examples. I know Canada has, has done some stuff as well. Yeah, so the UK, um, that thing they were doing didn't work out after all. Um, but they've pivoted. They're actually focused now. I mean, it looks a little like what we were trying to do with NSTIC, uh, you know, trying to get a trust framework that both government and industry could buy into with a really key difference, which is their time participation in the trust framework to if you want to be able to, uh, in fact, they, they kind of borrowed an idea from us in some ways around the idea of being able to ask the government to vouch for you when you're trying to prove who you are online. So they've set up a pilot they call a document checking service starting with a passport but that'll go to some of the other authoritative sources um you know really focusing on closing that identity gap um in europe the european commission's launched a new effort uh around what they're calling digital identity wallets which would essentially be a you know way that you could download you know either as a government app or maybe say into you know apple or google wallet um you know a digital representation of your id um you know there's there's other in fact we're the U.S., one of the things that's really concerned me lately is when you look at our peers across the globe, we're the only country that hasn't actually launched an initiative. It's the only country that isn't putting hundreds of millions of dollars or more of investment into digital identity infrastructure. And, you know, it's going to become an issue in a couple of years if that doesn't change from a matter of economic competitiveness, where we're going to start to fall behind in terms of what we can do online. To what extent is that an issue of culture? You mentioned that a, a national ID is a non-starter. Has the move to digital, the pandemic, or anything sort of whittled down the the resistance to, to a better way of identifying an individual? I think the issues, you know, are, let me put it this way. I think the argument that you can't do something just because of privacy has gotten stale. Because when you have over $100 billion in fraud, when you've got tens of millions of Americans who have been victims of identity theft themselves and are dealing with things, um, it's not to say privacy is not important. It's more that privacy doesn't mean you can't do something. Privacy just means you need to architect a system up front to anticipate privacy risks and then, you know, build, make sure that you address them. And so I think, you know, 
like, look, ACLU put out a great you know, paper about three months ago on mobile driver's licenses, which is something I'm really bullish on that I think the states are starting to drive. And um, you know, we've been advocating that the federal government should look to jumpstart those adoptions of the, the, the adoption of, of mobile driver's licenses uh, with some better standards and some dollars to uh, you know, move things along. But ACLU's wasn't, their publication didn't say, this is a disaster, we have to stop this now. Everybody call your congressman and demand that they oppose it. It was, this is kind of interesting. We're really concerned because we think there's a lot of ways you could get it wrong, but there could be some benefits. And here's a bunch of recommendations that you could follow that might actually make this good. And, you know, Jay Stanley, who, you know, was the author of that. I mean, I talked to Jay afterwards and said, Jay, I, I you know, I think you guys actually hit it on the head. I agree with probably 90% of the recommendations. So I think the discussions evolved a little bit now where, you know, again, the old, you know, tired tropes about national ID, like, okay, fine, we don't want to have new systems and we don't want to, and you know, enable a surveillance state with identity, but everybody's used to transacting online right now and nobody wants to go through a half hour process every time to try and prove they are who they say they are or only go through a 30 second process that leaves their identity vulnerable to theft. And so I think we're kind of getting to more constructive discussions on that front right now. I think that the bigger challenge I'm seeing right now in government as, I mean, look, all the money that was stolen from the pandemic aid is getting a lot of attention. Um, you know, there was there was an article in FCW about six weeks ago. There was nearly a $3 billion fund put in the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, to address this that was being driven by uh, Gene Sperling and the, you know, who's coordinating the American Rescue Plan, but it, the, for whatever reason, it didn't make it into the final package. Um, but the problem I'm seeing is it, you know, like that was focused just on solving identity and government benefits. And then there's another pocket of people focusing on how do we solve identity and financial services? Because we're worried about money laundering and terrorist financing and how to do, you know, fintech and financial inclusion. And you got another group over here looking at health. And I mean, you go all around the government and everybody's looking at it from their own narrow perspective. It's almost like, you know, what's the old parable, the blind man and the elephant. Everybody's, you know, touching a different part and they're, they're describing the problem as if it's a trunk or it's a tail or it's a belly. And, you know, I think we're just starting to see some thinking out of the White House of people, you know, going up, standing up and going, you know what, it's a, it's a bleeping elephant. And why don't we start looking at it as, as that? Um, I've been saying it's, it's the same deficiencies in identity infrastructure that's letting organized criminals, you know, they're exploiting the same few, well, exploits, weaknesses to steal from government, to steal from banks, to steal from health, from retail, from fintech and payments and cryptocurrency exchanges. It's all the same stuff. So, you know, if you're not going to address it without an investment in infrastructure, build infrastructure that solves all of those problems. It's cheaper. Jen, you wanted to make a point before Robert stomped all over you. Please go ahead. <laughs> I'm used to it. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, the only thing I was going to say is I do think one of the major issues we have is that the government doesn't invest in identity like its infrastructure. You know, like they started to do with cyber, where they put money across everybody realizing that you had to deal with some cybersecurity infrastructure no matter what. And, and you, can't, you can't ask every agency to pay for their own identity systems and set it up. You, you ought to have a, a basic investment in the fundamental infrastructure as the base level. The other thing I was going to bring up, Jeremy, and I, I know you saw this, but you know there's um, a couple states that are going to do the digital driver's license, right? Arizona, Georgia, I think, and Apple has agreed that you're going to be able to put it in your Apple wallet and TSA has agreed that they will recognize that at the airport. That's a pretty big deal. 
That's a that's a pretty pretty interesting deal. It's a so big I- deal, but I'm I'm going I'm a little I'm going to kind of calm myself right now. So there are so I'm I'm very bullish on mobile drivers licenses. In fact, they exist because we funded the first few pilots of them out of the NSTIC program. And it's the DMV gets you more bang for the buck than any other existing government program. And that the DMV is the one place, almost every adult American, not everybody. I mean, you got an inclusion issue here, but almost every adult shows up for a rigorous in-person identity proofing process with a government agent driven by a federal standard. But you can use an MDL for two things. There's the, hey, I'm going through a TSA gate and I'm going to show you my phone instead of my driver's license or I'm buying a beer. I'm going to do the same. That's cool, but that's kind of a nice to have. That's the in-person use case. And then there's the remote use case, which is where we've got over $100 billion in fraud. Everything that the states are doing, or with a couple exceptions, but everybody's focused here now on this in-person use case. Hey, how can I go through a TSA gate? DHS is writing the regs for it. And there is a part of me that's looking at this and saying, I've got two use cases for this thing. One's a nice to have, and one is where all of the cyber crime is happening. Maybe we should focus over here a little bit. That's not happening the way I think it should be right now. All right. There's a ton more we'd like to cover. Jen, you get the last word. I, I don't have anything. Thank you for, for thank you for having this discussion. Well, we can't just end it like that. Of course you have something to say. <laughs> you were going to say something a moment ago. Uh, I'm hoping to visit Estonia. <laughs> it's lovely in the summer. All right. Um, Jen Kerber and Jeremy Grant, great to have you on the program. Thanks for coming on. Nice to see you, my friend. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.